Welcome to Activating Sustainability, the Anthesis Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Peterson, and especially with the emerging war and conflict in the Ukraine, we sincerely hope that everyone is staying safe, taking care of yourselves and your loved ones, and are doing well. Like many of you, I was recently living vicariously through my colleagues who were attending the GreenBiz conference in Arizona. It's really encouraging to see face-to-face meetings starting back up and exciting to have the sustainability community coming back together. To continue on the theme of living through them, I'm excited to be joined today by some of our team to hear about their experiences at the conference, the discussions they were having, and what they think it means. Joining me today for that conversation are Chantal Lutsky, CEO of North America, Jason Pearson, and Emma Armstrong, both executive directors here in North America. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Chris, good to be with you again. Thanks, Chris. Well, thank you all so much for joining. So maybe to kick things off, outside of the COP meeting, this was really the first time that the North American sustainability community has come together since early 2020. And over that time, while we've been sitting individually in front of screens, we've had an incredible global disruption, the murder of George Floyd and residential school discoveries leading to a reckoning with racism, a change in government, record storms, heat domes, a pivot on the importance of ESG, emerging war in Eastern Europe, and much, much more. So I'd love to hear what it was like to come together as the sustainability community and 1,200 of our peers. What's the mood? What was the chatter? What were you hearing this year that is different than what you've heard in the past? Maybe to kick things off, Chantal, do you want to start us off? Yes, Chris, thank you. And firstly, you know, thoughts go to everybody directly impacted in the evolving crisis in Ukraine. And we hope that our colleagues, our, our clients are all safe. I think the, the thing that was most striking about being at GreenBiz in person this year was the genuine joy that everybody felt at seeing each other in person. The phrase that I heard time and time again was, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you in 3D. And it wasn't just me saying this to somebody, but it was other people saying it to each other. Wonderful energy in the room, out on the lunch pavilion, everybody talking about the huge shifts in sustainability over the last two years. What's remarkable is that COVID, while it slowed so many things down, has in some ways added impetus to the critical work that everybody needs to do. There was just tremendous energy and excitement at being there and figuring things out together. I would echo that. I found that there was a really powerful sense of momentum. The pace of work within the individual organizations with whom I spoke, and also the sense that the work that sustainability professionals had been doing within their organizations was more and more tightly integrated with the business priorities of their organizations. And that there was this real sense that the momentum is growing. We really are becoming part of the mainstream strategy of our organizations to the extent that we might have been sidelined in the past that were more and more central to the strategy of our business. I'll just build on that. So I mostly went to sessions focused on the kind of S in ESG and social impact. And while those topics, you know, have been covered in previous GreenBiz conferences that I've attended, it was really great to see how deep the panelists that were talking about this topic were able to go in very practical terms to talk about how they are you know, shifting the way in which they are viewing social impact as largely a philanthropic activity to one which is really kind of integrated into their core business and increasingly, you know, 
able to see case studies that various panelists were talking about where they're actually actively kind of working at the intersection of, you know, social, environmental and economic issues. So it was, you know, just to echo what Jason said there, you could really see how companies have in a pretty fast fashion over a very disruptive time really deepened their engagement on social impact in a meaningful way. I want to add to something that Jason said as well, which is the way in which sustainability is now being integrated into mainstream business operations. I think the most palpable example of this is somebody of the stature of Paul Polman talking about the CSO as being critical to the future success of organizations. And that just takes sustainability into an entirely different realm. And he's saying this not as a CSO, with some wishful thinking, but as a CEO, recognizing that this is something which is you know, core to business sustainability in different but related sense. Well, that's great. I think it's really nice to hear that validation of, I think, what so many of us have been feeling individually, like when that comes together, right, and see where that can carry forward. Emma, it'd be great to kind of dig into that piece a little bit further about social and what kind of stood out for you in terms of those case studies or specific pieces. And then love to hear Chantal and Jason, kind of what, what you're walking away with as some of those nuggets in your insights or back pocket. Yeah. So, I mean, case study wise, there were lots. I'm really interested in the whole kind of climate equity piece. And I went to a panel that, you know, Microsoft and Starbucks were both on. And both of those companies are really actively incorporating a social impact lens to their corporate renewable energy strategies. So Microsoft, for example, talked about two virtual power purchase agreements that they're working on right now, where there are criteria built into those deals around diversity in the supply chain for the projects around reinvestment of some of the proceeds into community upliftment projects in the areas where those projects are going to take place. Starbucks had, you know, kind of similar example of, of again, whether integrating equity issues into their renewable energy investments. There was another kind of general theme. There was a, a lot of discussion at Greenbiz in general around investor action and the role of investors in the ESG space. But increasingly, I think what we're starting to see is investors moving beyond active engagement in the E to actively pushing for more progress on the S in ESG. So there were a few examples that were shared around investor groups that are driving, you know, expectations, for example, around job standards and decent work, community engagement. There's a group, New York State Pension Fund, I think it is, that's asked several companies to actually complete independent reviews on racial justice specifically. So it was really interesting to see that or hear those discussions around how investors are really starting to kind of try and move the needle on, on social aspects. Maybe just to take it one step further, I know our colleague Jason Gooden talked about how one of his takeaways was that kind of shift from philanthropy to compliance. And I'm hearing that kind of reflected in what you're saying as well. Is that fair in terms of like how organizations are trying to approach this? Yeah, I don't know if I would use, at least for social impact, the word compliance, but I think certainly I would use the word kind of increased or the, the term increased expectation that we're starting to see increased expectation from stakeholders around how companies engage in 
you know, the social component of ESG and what their performance should be. I think there's a lot of work still to be done amongst the investment community and external standards agencies and so forth around how do you quantify or measure or track performance on this topic? It's kind of harder to do than on the environmental sphere. So, you know, I think it's still, whilst there are, we're starting to see increased expectations, we're yet to see clear impact measurement frameworks and standardized, you know, frameworks that investors can use to compare one company against another and determine how well they're doing, how well they're performing on, on social aspects specifically. I think it's going to be a very rapidly evolving area of um, sustainability as we develop metrics. And, you know, I think the big shift, if you think about, you mentioned philanthropy to compliance. I think compliance is such a hygiene factor. Companies do that because they have to, but they all are starting to recognize they need to do more to drive impact. And that gets us into systems thinking is it's not just one organization doing something that makes them feel that they are doing the right thing, but it's how can they engage the entire community within which they operate all the way up and down their value chain to really drive change and then take that organization's value chain and look at the intersections with other organizations' value chains and again drive, you know, start using systems thinking to drive really meaningful, lasting change. So I think CSR is is where we've shifted particularly around ESG. It's no longer CSR, it's around understanding what the S stands for in social impact and putting meaningful programs in place that say drive that lasting change. This concept of systems change, you know, it seems to be something that has come up in so many conversations coming out of GreenBiz. I know, Jason, you've got some thoughts around this and incorporate those into a panel that you are chairing. You know, it'd be really interesting to unpack that from each of your perspectives in terms of what, what struck you. And maybe, Jason, do you want to share some of those initial thoughts you have? Yeah, in fact, if I had to name one theme that I would say is the theme that I came away with, from GreenBiz, it is that I would want to elevate from the conversations at GreenBiz. It's that framing of our collective work in the context of larger system shifts. And actually in his keynote presentation, Paul Pullman explicitly invited all of us individually and collectively. The way he put it was to use our size, our scale, and I think our influence to change the systems around us. And from where we sit as a consultancy, that sums up for me what it means for us to be a sustainability activator, what it means to unlock sustainable performance. Because when we're partnering with clients in pursuit of something that we call sustainable performance, as I see it, what we're doing is we're partnering with clients to proactively establish a constructive, mutually beneficial relationship with those larger environmental, social, economic, political systems on which our clients depend and all of us depend and these are also the fundamental systems that are going to determine the trajectory of this decade and ultimately the shape of the future for decades or centuries to come. And for many of us, as we've come to understand what sustainability is, I think that what we've meant by sustainability is the sustainability and the integrity and the resilience of those larger systems. And increasingly, we recognize that those systems are already undergoing massive change. Some of it at our hands, some of it not, but at the global scale, environmental shifts, social shifts, political shifts, demographic shifts. And I heard a lot of that at the conference. That is people talking about this isn't just a decisive decade. This is a dynamic decade, a decade of tremendous change in all these larger systems. And as we're thinking about how we 
partner with clients to develop those proactive, constructive relationships with these system shifts, it feels like that work operates along a spectrum. And that language that came up earlier of philanthropy or compliance or leadership and engagement, it feels like it's appropriate that we're working entirely along that spectrum. I don't mean just Anthesis, but all of us in the community are working along that spectrum as we are both responding to these huge system shifts over which we have very little control and trying to figure out how do we adapt? What is our place in a changing ecosystem, in a system in which our supply chains are moving through ecosystems that are changing, political systems that are changing? So how do we respond and adapt? And then also to Chantel's point, how do we start to proactively establish a meaningful relationship in, in which we can actually make good on the invitation that Paul Pullman has extended to actually try to change those systems, either individually because of our individual size and scale, or to Chantel's point, collaboratively through coming together to influence those systems. Yeah, and just to build on the collaboration point, I mean, I think we've over the last few years increasingly seen corporations being more open to and willing to collaborate with other parties in their value chain, with their peers, to really scale their kind of collective influence. I think what we need to see more of going forward is a willingness by companies to work with other different types of stakeholders, with a more diverse group of stakeholders than perhaps you know, they have worked with before, including local communities, as an example. And in some of the social impact sessions that I attended, there was a lot of discussion around kind of the importance of community-led solutions. And that, you know, really the closer to the ground and the closer to the impacted communities you get, the more consensus you're going to find around what the solution needs to be. And actually, one of my favorite quotes from the conference was, you don't know the language of injustice if you've never experienced it. And so I think for companies looking to do meaningful work on this topic, it's going to be really critical for them to find ways to meaningfully engage people with those lived experiences and involve, you know, those people both within their own organization, you know, increasingly diversify the voices within their own organization that are involved in this work and finding ways to engage with, you know, impacted communities more, more broadly as well. And, you know, there are lots of companies that are already doing that work, but I do think that that is something we're going to see more of in the future, or we're going to need to see more of. If Jason's big takeaway was systems change, my big takeaway was the criticality of values and how having the right values can lead to the right culture, which can lead to the right kind of change. And this goes to the heart of collaboration. If everybody has the same sense of purpose and the same or very similar mission, there's strong alignment around that. And I think companies will, organizations, not just companies, will increasingly start to work together to drive the systems change that we need um, in this decisive decade. And you know, I think that's the biggest opportunity in front of us. And there was a very, very real sense of that. I mean, we are seeing organizations who would traditionally compete with each other, starting to sit down together and talk about how can they solve problems together. And we're seeing this with big tech companies amongst our clients. There were notable examples of that at Greenbiz with big tech companies sitting on the same podium talking about problems and figuring out how they can solve them together. And for me, that's a real shift from where we've been in the past. It's Yes, they compete against each other, but they also recognize that actually no one wins when all you have to do is beat somebody else, whereas working together, you can drive the change that we need.
collaboration piece is, you know, strong in my heart. So I'm glad to hear that's coming forward. But Jason, I know that's something close to your heart as well. So we'd love your thoughts there, as well as I think the collaboration piece is great. Are there other elements of that system change that you know you could see in the discussions and the conversations of here's how you start to implement that? Right? I'm hearing collaboration, I'm hearing engaging with communities, I'm hearing clarifying values, et cetera. I want to underline what I heard Chantel saying, which was yes, collaboration, but alignment on shared values, which I really strongly agree with. I would really underline that, that idea that, and I I heard that certainly in the context of pre-competitive and post-competitive collaboration opportunities among companies, as Chantel was referencing, but also on the panel that I hosted, several of the presenters talking about what it takes to achieve meaningful change management change within their organizations and how they manage that change and how important it is to get alignment around values and principles and a sense of purpose and also how the role in the company that has typically been offered to the sustainability team is a role that affords them a unique position to bring people together across functions, across business units, to have those conversations about where there are opportunities for shared values and where there are opportunities internally for collaboration to both respond to the larger system challenges and also meaningfully engage in a more proactive way toward meaningful impact engagement, whether it's in immediate communities or more deeply into supply chains or at the level of a sector as a whole. And that also, Chris referenced that I I certainly do have a passion for collaboration as a tactic for achieving meaningful change. And in the work that I did before coming to Anthesis, which largely involved bringing companies and nonprofit organizations and governments together in collaboration, always the first step was coming together around shared principles. What are the shared principles that we can agree on that are going to guide our work? I really appreciate Chantel highlighting that because I think that's that was a theme that I too heard as one of the methods through which we will actually make meaningful progress is by settling into that. I do think it's one thing that makes Anthesis so unique is that incredible alignment amongst our team members and it's why people like to join Anthesis, why they like to be here, because there's this strong sense of purpose and those shared values. And, you know, if you can take that bottle and spread it over every organization on the planet, wow, we'd be in a great place. <laughs> but it's powerful. It, it enables you to drive big change and to do amazing things when you all have that same sense of purpose. Yeah, it's interesting when you think about, you know, as you're saying, that alignment of values, the, you know, defining principles, et cetera, and exactly like you're saying, Chantal, like you certainly feel that in Anthesis and other organizations that are anchored in that way of everybody pulling in the same direction as opposed to pulling in opposite directions, right? And I think we've all experienced that or seen that in terms of silos within organizations that aren't collaborating or working well together. And it's just interesting to think about how that collaboration can occur within an organization across an organization, and Emma, what I was hearing from you is like across a wider community of stakeholders, right, than we maybe have previously defined. Yeah, and I mean, I'll just add, and this is a bit of a diversion from the collaboration topic, but kind of speaks a little bit to, I think, your question around what are some of the practical things that companies can do. I mean, for me, my big kind of aha moment around systems change is just around the fact that 
I think it is understandable that companies and individuals often will jump in to try and kind of find solutions, right? We need to take action and find solutions and do stuff, get moving. And those things are all really important. But I think it's really important to like take a step back and think about some of the key societal problems that we face and think about like, what are the root causes? I have an auditing background, right? So this should be an obvious aha moment for me, but like to really say, okay, you know, why are these problems happening in the first place? What are the root causes? And then what is it that my company can do either individually or collaboratively to tackle some of those root causes, right? To then affect systemic change. And back to the collaboration, for most of those societal problems, no one company can be the magic bullet. And so there's going to have to be collaboration, including, we haven't talked about this too much, on policy and pushing for policy change. And I think companies have an increasing role to play in using their voice and their influence to push for better policy, you know, because that's key to, to affecting systemic change. Somebody on one of the panels that I attended said, every single sustainability project should have a social impact component. And if we don't do that, we will continue to support inherently racist systems. And that was a really big takeaway for me. You know, I, I think traditionally E has been managed over here and S has been managed over here. And now is the time that we need to have a much more holistic, a much more integrated a way of thinking about acting at the intersection of those issues, which is key to, you know, then affecting systems change. This just really shows how sustainability and, and ESG are evolving and in some ways maturing. Because I can remember 10 years ago in the global engineering firm that I was with, we said we need to make sure that we are tracking the environmental impact of the project on every project as well. And that was a big thing back then. And now it's absolutely entrenched. So yeah, this is a, a great pathway for us to be on and, and wonderful to hear that we're thinking about social impact in this way as well. And I'm excited about the social impact service area that we're developing here and to take that to our clients. And I would reinforce something that Emma said earlier about the increasing role of the financial sector, which was clearly present at GreenBiz as a theme and something that we all talked about as we came away, this sense that if two, three years ago attending GreenBiz, we would have been hearing about the role of the financial sector, but it was more something that was coming. The, the financial sector might be stepping into this space. and. I felt, at least in the sessions that I attended, that for many of the organizations attending GreenBiz, the investor community was one of the dominant stakeholders to whom they were responding. And associated with that, ESG as a language was increasingly becoming for them the operational language for sustainability in the way that we heard from the main stage, accounting has long been the operational language for business. And what is helpful about that as an operational language is that E, S, and G are inclusive of environmental priorities, social priorities, and governance priorities, and insistently force us to be including a range of areas of focus in our work. That said, the other aspect that I would highlight that I heard around that theme of shared values, finding shared principles, was that it is not the case that all 1,200 attendees at GreenBiz all share the same values, nor that it, they all share the same priorities, nor that they would all put at the top of their list the same issues as the most pressing issues that they needed to address. And that seemed to me very healthy, that we could come together as a community, recognize that some organizations are leaning in in certain areas, and as they lean in, are finding partners in leaning in to really make a meaningful difference in systems in those areas. 
others are leaning in in other areas and finding partners to lean in in those areas, and that's entirely appropriate. And so while we're developing a broader operational language and we're trying to be as inclusive as possible, we're also appropriately prioritizing as appropriate to our place within those larger systems. Great. Well, and I know coming out of a conference like that, there's lots of inspiration, excitement. You know, you've hit on a number of tactical things that individuals can be doing, things to be digging in on. But do you have any additional thoughts that we haven't hit on here? Or are there specific actions that you're taking out of that or that you'd recommend kind of our community take coming out of the conversations? Maybe, Emma, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, so much. There's, there's so many thoughts and ideas coming out of a session like that. I mean, I'm going to be really interested to see, again, sticking, sticking with the kind of the social impact space, how it evolves. There is a need for kind of more standardization around, you know, impact measurement. And like I said earlier, kind of comparability. The social aspects are, they're different, right, from the environmental aspects. And they're not as easy to kind of quantify and track. There's a fundamentally human component to social impact, right, that needs, you know, a different approaches. And so just kind of making progress towards having standard and consistent impact measurement frameworks, whilst also respecting the fundamentally human nature of, of this topic. I think, you know, storytelling is going to be continue to be, you know, really important part of moving the kind of the social impact piece forward. So there's an interesting balance, I think, that's going to be needed. For sure, there is going to be a need to be a greater focus on inclusion and diversity within the corporate sustainability community our community needs to, to evolve in respect of ensuring that we have diverse perspectives and voices at the table to credibly be able to kind of move that whole field forward as well. So, you know, those are some of the things that I'm interested to see how, uh, what happens kind of going forward. Wonderful. Jason? I guess I came away from GreenBiz conscious of a challenge that I face within my own work, and I think we all face, which is that as we get more proficient at the tools, the tactical tools of implementing something we call ESG or sustainability in our organizations, there is the risk that we can get comfortable with the idea that if we've got an ESG framework and we're using an ESG framework and we're reporting against it and we're reporting to the various stakeholders who are asking us for those various forms of reporting, that we will be making the kind of change in the world at a systemic level that we want to be making. And that's absolutely not necessarily a valid assumption. And we don't really have the robust impact assessment frameworks and tools that Emma referenced that we need in order to assess whether we are making the difference that we want to be making. But we need to keep working on that. We should absolutely be building the efficient operational language and tools to be able to do the work, but we also need to be constantly challenging ourselves about whether we're having the level of impact we need to have in this decisive decade. And I, I came away with a strong sense of that challenge and an appetite to keep working on it. And I look forward to continuing to work on it with all of my colleagues here at Anthesis and with our partners. Wonderful. Final thoughts to you, Chantal. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that both Jason and, and Emma have said, and, and particularly interested in this idea of being able to measure social impact. I went to a number of sessions on, on carbon offsets and carbon credits. It's been viewed as a, a bit of a wild west, shall we say, and I'm 
pleased to see that there's more rigor being applied to make it an opportunity to drive change in, in a way that feels more reputable. I think you know, we're doing some great work around that front and excited that we've got CNG as part of our team now to drive that rigor and good governance. One of the companies that I spoke with was looking at how they can start providing a social impact credit through the work they're doing. So they operate in, in reforestation in parts of Latin America and parts of the US. And they're engaging in the communities they work in in a very significant way. And they're trying to figure out how can they measure that community engagement and the benefits to the community of that reforestation and start creating social credits. So that's really interesting. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount happening in this space for the next few years. It's going to happen fast. And we do want to make sure there's good governance. But I was excited about that because it means that there's some real attention being given to this and from a good place, not as just something else to be demonetized. It starts from a good place. So I think that was fantastic to hear about. And excited to see more of that. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. Certainly not an easy challenge to try to consolidate some of those key themes and insights from your know, packed agenda and all the excitement associated with it. So, but thank you all so much for hopping on and sharing your thoughts with myself and the listeners. Thanks for hosting us, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. To learn more about Anthesis, our efforts to address these and other key ESG issues the CNG climate neutral group merger that Chantal referenced, our emerging social impacts offering that Emma is leading, or our careers page, please visit us at anthesisgroup.com or reach out to any of us directly from the site. Thanks again for listening and stay well.